What was it that transformed the world, that reset the calendar of human history, that propelled the movement of an obscure rabbi from a dusty little corner of the Roman Empire to the ends of the earth, to the extent that here, 2,000 years later, a third of the population of the world identifies with him? What, what was it? Was it his teachings? Uh, he was an amazing teacher. Um, maybe it was his parables. Uh, he had some incredible parables, you know, like the Good Samaritan or the Prodigal Son. Or maybe it was this incredible ethic of love. You know, as amazing as all those things are, none of those things gave Jesus' early followers the courage to go on and give their lives for him. It was none of those things. What gave them the courage to go on and give their lives to spread his message was the fact that they had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And throughout human history, most people's story of faith um, doesn't start by getting all their doubts or all their questions answered. It, it starts with the fact that they responded to an encounter with the living God. And today we're going to see one of those accounts that changed everything for one person. The encounter that changed his life and changed his world forever. And I can really identify with this guy. You know, he's a guy that asks a lot of questions. He's a guy that maybe is a little skeptical. He doesn't always take things at face value. He doesn't just go along with things um, because all of his friends do. In fact, he would probably call himself a realist. You know, some of you, your spouses, uh, they would call you a pessimist and you would call yourself a realist, right? My wife, uh, she knows I do this thing where I tell her like, hey, I, I just got this one more thing I got to do. And it's like 15, 20 minutes. And she, she looks at me and she asks, is that Tim time? because she knows I have this classic habit of just trying to do three or four more things, right? And so she always asks me, is that Tim time? She's a realist. Maybe you're a realist too. And this guy would have said that he's a realist. But if you dig a little deeper, the truth is he really struggled with some underlying doubt in his life. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe, you know, when it comes to Jesus, to God, to church, to the Bible, maybe you just don't know. Maybe you have lots of questions. Maybe you have lots of doubts. Or maybe you've never, you know, followed Jesus to begin with because of your doubts and because of your questions. Or maybe um, you're in a place of doubting right now. You follow Jesus, but you're in a place of doubting in your life, and it's because of the season you're in. And life circumstances are just such that you, you've become disillusioned and you've really started to doubt um, that he cares for you, that he's there for you. You know, and if either one of those scenarios are you, I um, mean, we sat down at the kitchen table and just started to talk about it and have a conversation. My guess is you've got some really good reasons for the doubt that you're experiencing right now. And wherever you're at, you know, here's the good news. Here's the good news for you and for me today. That doubt may be where your story begins, but it doesn't have to be where your story ends. And that's what we're going to see in the life of our character today. We're going we're gonna to see his journey from doubt to belief. 
And we're going to see that in John chapter 11. The book of John is one of uh, the four accounts we have of Jesus' life, written by one of the guys that was just the closest to him. And John, in John chapter 11, he sets it up. And just to let you know, uh, we're going to drop into the story a little bit. But we meet this character and he's introduced. Jesus invites him to be part of his inner circle, one of his disciples. An incredible honor for any young Jewish man. And Jesus invites him in to be one of his inner crew, one of the twelve. And so things are going great at first. You know, there's all these rumors that Jesus might be the Messiah and they, um, the crowds love him. He's healing people and everything's going great. They're dreaming of the time when he will become king and they're going to be his main guys. And then things start to go south. The religious leaders begin to oppose him. And before you know it, they're plotting to kill him. And they're down in Jerusalem and he's a little bit up north and things just aren't going so well anymore. And about this time, as they're traveling around, Jesus uh, gets news that one of his close friends down close to Jerusalem in, a, in the outskirts, a town called Bethany, uh, one of his close friends is really ill. He's at the point of death. And so Jesus doesn't go right away. <laughs> he waits for four days actually. And then after four days go by, Jesus looks at his guys and he says, hey, um, Lazarus is asleep. Um, I'm going to go wake him up. Come on, let's go. And they look at him like, what? Are you crazy? In fact, they go, if he's asleep, he's going to wake up. You want to dr drag us? You want to go down by Jerusalem where these guys are ready to kill you? Are you crazy? And Jesus looks at him and goes, come on, guys. Um, he's dead. And then he says, but for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there earlier because you're about ready to see something that's going to blow your mind. And that's where we pick it up uh, in verse 16. Right after that says this, then Thomas, there's our guy. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the, the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> this guy isn't like, the glass half full kind of guy. He, he's like, he's just, he's saying, I'm a realist. This isn't a good situation. And he said, let us go that we may die with him. And here's, here's what is so interesting to me about this scene. When Jesus invites Thomas to be part of his inner circle, he knows full well that Thomas struggles with doubts. This, Thomas has uh, struggled that Thomas is the way that he is. And what's encouraging about that to me, and maybe it will be to you, is that doubt doesn't have to disqualify you from following Jesus. Just because you doubt doesn't mean that you can't run after Jesus, that you can't follow Jesus, seek him and pursue him and get to know him. In fact, all of Jesus' followers, until after the resurrection, they didn't really understand who, who Jesus was. They all doubted. You know, what strikes me about that is you can belong before you believe. That Jesus invited Thomas to belong before he had to believe. And you know, we do our best to be the kind of church where you, if you have doubts, if you still have questions, if you're trying to figure things out, you can belong before you believe. And we want to invite you to do that as we continue on right now, you know, online right now, virtually. But Lord willing, real soon, we're going to be able to come back together and gather. 
And we would love to invite you to just come and belong and explore Jesus together. And so the next time we hear from Thomas is actually just a couple chapters later in, in John chapter 14. And it's a scene um, that we know as the Last Supper. And it's a really emotional, intense moment for Jesus. Um, he's comforting his disciples. He's, laying, he's trying to give his disciples the most important things they need to know before he goes to the cross. He's just laid this heavy thing on them uh, of what is about ready to happen. And so uh, he, he makes this statement and it's inc an incredible comfort for those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. Here's what he says in verse one of chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. And it's this incredible scripture where Jesus gives hope to those that have put their faith and trust in him of spending eternity with them. And he, he drops this statement, and, but they don't get it. You see, they're still thinking earthly kingdom, kingdom now, when are we gonna move into the palace? And they're like, we know who your, your pops was, right? And uh, some of these guys probably knew Jesus as he grew up. And they're thinking he doesn't really have that big of a house. And so they, don't, they just don't really get this. And Jesus is speaking of the future. Jesus is speaking of when after this life, we get to be with him eternally. And so he lays a statement on, but Thomas, he's, he's just, he can't figure it out. And so he asks this, Jesus says, you know where I'm going. And Thomas says in verse five, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? He says, we know, you know the way where I'm going. Thomas is like, we don't know the way. I have doubts. I have questions. I don't know what you're talking about here. And here's, here's the cool thing is, is for Thomas, this is an honest question. Thomas is struggling and he asks an honest, honest question. And you know, belief can be hard. Belief can be hard for us, especially in times of tragedy or in times of uncertainty, like we're going through, you know, right now together. It can be hard. In fact, what uncertainty and tragedy often do is expose the doubt that's deep inside of us. Make us question, where is God? Does God care? Is he really even there? And so Thomas asked this honest question. And you know, there's something about asking questions and there's something about doubts that I think is so important because Jesus can handle your honest doubts and questions, but there's a difference between honest doubts and questions and doubts that are used as an excuse not to follow him, not to follow God into what he's calling you to, or not to follow God into an area of obedience in your life. And I've seen this in a lot of people's lives, and maybe this is where you're at right now. Is there something God's asking you to do or he's inviting you to follow? And you just keep throwing up question after question, but it's more like a straw man argument. And there's a million questions. You can just keep asking questions that, you know, maybe there's no answer for. And it's just an excuse for you. And once one's down, you just ask another. 
Sometimes doubts can actually be something we use as an excuse not to follow God into where he's calling us to. And you know, the key for Thomas, and I think the key for, for you and for me, is to keep on seeking, to keep on pursuing him, to keep asking honest questions, to not stop, to not allow doubt just to be an excuse to quit following. And so Jesus answers Thomas' honest question. And he answers it with this profound statement. And if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this statement. But what's really cool, you, you may not have put two and two together, that Jesus answers, he, he, he makes this statement in answer to Thomas' honest question, his honest doubt. And here's what he says. Jesus answered, Thomas says, what is the way? How do we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And then he goes on and he goes on to just let them know that he and the father are one. He equates himself with the father and they, they don't really get this at the time. They don't understand it, but it's this profound statement that he makes. And you know, no matter where you're at in your understanding of Jesus, you, you really have to wrestle with his claims. You really have to ask yourself, he, he said, I am the way, the only way to get to God. That's what Jesus says. And so wherever, where, wherever you're at, you know, Jesus didn't really leave you the option of just thinking, well, he's just a good moral teacher. He says, I am the only way. And you really have to wrestle with that. But they didn't get it. And so they finished the scene at the Last Supper and they, they head out and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is arrested, he's crucified, he's buried. And for them, it's, it's game over. It's game over. This whole thing, they're, the, the thing that they had given their lives to now for multiple years, it's over. The dream is over. Nobody expected a resurrection. I said this before, I say this every Easter. Nobody was outside of the tomb on the very first Easter morning counting down. 10, 9, 8, 7. It just, it, it didn't happen. Nobody, they didn't have a paradigm to even understand that somebody would, would be raised from the dead like this. And then early Sunday morning, some women who had gone out to, to re-embalm the body, because obviously the guys probably didn't do it right a few days earlier, see an amazing thing. And they come rushing back in with this wild, crazy story that the stone was rolled away and we saw angels and then Jesus appeared and he's alive, he's risen. And they don't believe him at all. In fact, uh, this is a really interesting thing. Uh, if maybe you're a little skeptical of the gospels because they don't believe, the, the disciples don't believe the women at all. In fact, in this society, in this time in history, a woman's opinion or a woman's testimony couldn't even be brought into a court of law. And so they didn't, they didn't believe them. And if you, if you were just making this stuff up, trying to build a case for why Jesus was the Messiah after he'd died, if he hadn't really risen from the dead, you, you would never put this in the story. This isn't building your credibility to put the, the first witnesses as women. 
And in fact, you know, when it comes to, as I've studied this, the, the resurrection is the most historically attested to event. It is one of the most historically attested to events in the history. It, it, there's so much evidence for it. In fact, all of these guys would go on, almost all of them would go on to give their lives and die a martyr's death. What would motivate them to do that? Liars don't make very good martyrs. It was the fact that they'd, have an, they'd had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And so later that evening, after the, uh, after the women tell them this crazy story, they're all together in a room and Jesus appears to them. And he says, peace be with you. And they're overjoyed. They're overjoyed. Only problem, Thomas wasn't there. We don't know where he was. So maybe later that evening, maybe the next morning, Thomas comes in and they tell him this incredible story. They'd seen the risen Savior. And here's what happens in John chapter 20, verse 24. It says, now Thomas, who is also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. He's like, he's looking at these guys and thinking like, am I the only rational one here? We saw him die. We saw, am I the only one that's not crazy? Think about it. If you had friends and you'd seen one of your friends be executed and buried dead, you knew he was dead, right? And the rest of your friends are like, hey, um, we saw him, he's alive. And you're like, I don't think so. I'm gonna need some proof. It's kind of like, you remember those magic eye posters where it's like that weird grid pattern and a bunch of like weird patterns and you have to bug your eyes out real weird. And then like after staring at it for five minutes, finally it's like, whoa, it comes into focus. And some people, uh, my friend John, uh, who works at the church, he's like, I can never see those things. And Thomas feels like, am I the only one who doesn't see this here? Am I the only one that doesn't see it? And so he just thinks they're crazy, right? And so a week later, a week later, had to have been the longest week of Thomas' life. A week later, it says, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, again, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, and I love this because he meets Thomas in his doubt. And he wants to meet you and he wants to meet me in the places where we doubt. And here's what he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen me and yet have believed. And in a moment, Thomas goes from doubt to belief. He goes from, I, I don't believe it, to my Lord and my God. He goes to the, the most powerful statement made, the most clear statement made about the identity of Jesus in the four gospels by someone. My Lord and my God. And here's the thing. 
throughout history, most people's story of faith, like we started out saying, most people's story of faith doesn't start out with them getting all their doubts or all their questions answered. It starts out with having an encounter with the living God. And just like Thomas had an encounter with the risen Savior, that's the story of so many people. That God moves, God speaks, God moves in your life in such a way. Sometimes it's dramatic, like the Apostle Paul, where in a blinding flash of light, he's knocked off his donkey and uh, he hears the voice of Jesus speaking out, why are you persecuting me? Uh, sometimes Jesus appears in, in, in other dramatic ways. Uh, I've heard multiple stories recently of people in countries like Iran where Jesus would appear to them in a dream or a vision and invite them to follow him. I know for me, I've had just intense moments where the presence of God has been so powerful and so clear in my life. And, I, and God has moved in various ways. I call those God moments. Those moments where you know that you know that you know that that was God, Right? And sometimes it's, it, it's powerful. Other times it's a lot more gentle and subtle. And it's the work of God just drawing you in your heart. I can think of a, a story of a gal I know named Jessie. And she was an atheist. And she, uh, she liked this football player guy that we went to church with. And so she, she was talking to him and said, hey, you want to go to a movie? And he said, I'd, I'd go to a movie, but why don't, why don't you come to church with me first? And so she's like, first she's like, I'm not going to church. But then she got to thinking about it and she's like, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe all this anyway. So what's it going to hurt me? I'll go to church. And so she came and she walks in and she sits down on the, on the second row. And as the music, the worship music begins playing, all of a sudden the strangest thing happens to her. She just starts weeping and she can't stop. And, and it was the presence of God there drawing her to himself. And she became a follower of Jesus and gave her life to Jesus that day. And you know, Thomas' story starts with doubt, but it doesn't end that way. In fact, church history and tradition tells us that Thomas was the one who spread the message, the good news of Jesus all across the subcontinent of India where he eventually gave his life as a martyr for Jesus. And that's the story of Thomas. And for you and for me, doubt may be where your story begins, but it doesn't have to be where your story ends. You know, it's okay to struggle with doubt. It's okay to ask honest questions, but don't get stuck there. Don't, don't just use doubt as an excuse to stop following him. Keep pursuing, keep pressing in, keep asking him to reveal himself to you. Keep asking honest questions. You know, I know that he is alive, he's active, he's still moving today. I've experienced him. I've had an encounter with the living God and you can as well. And so as we close, I just wanna pray for you. I, I want to pray for you that, that God would meet you, that God would encounter you as only he can. He's so creative that he would encounter you as only he can. And so wherever you're watching right now, I just want to invite you to, if you're comfortable, just to open your hands right now. 
And I want to pray that you would experience him in your life in, in a new way. And so, Lord Jesus, uh, I just pray for my friends there that you, you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move in their life. Lord, and sometime right now or this coming week, you would reveal yourself to them as only you can do, Lord. Meet them where they're at, I pray. Let them have an encounter with the living God. And before you head out, I want to give you an opportunity. For some of you, you're ready to respond to Jesus. And for the, for the rest of you, would you pray, if you've already given your life to Jesus, would you pray for those that are, that are watching right now, wherever they're watching? And for some of you, you're ready to respond. You know what's cool is John finishes this chapter like this. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And see, believing is putting your faith and your trust in him. And if you feel him tugging on your heart right now, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. You can pray just a simple prayer like this after me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I cannot make it to God on my own. I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to welcome me into your family and give me life. I want to live my life for you. And if you prayed that right now, we would love to know about it. Hit contact us or message us wherever you're watching. And we'd love to get you a resource and be praying for you. If you have anything that you need prayer for, our staff this week would love to pray for you as well. And so reach out to us. And now we're going to close with another song of worship. And so I just want to pass it back over to Winston and let's celebrate God's amazing grace and his love for us.